Well, everybody's finding their seats again here in this moment. I'm going to speak to those that are online. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Uh, feel free to get your cinnamon bun out of the microwave. You know where I'm going with this. Grab a coffee. We're about to dive into the Word of God this morning, and I'm so excited that you could join us wherever you're watching from right now. Um, and I hope that uh, you're enjoying it so far this morning, and I hope that it, what just happened here translated through to you. Uh, it's going to be a great moment here as we dive into the Word of God. All right. Oh, my love, you can have it all. All right. Life Church. Well, once again, everybody, welcome. Good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here with my wife, Tanya. And uh, we are so grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, you may notice that we are missing a few of our leaders this morning. It is spring break, so there's a few people away. Um, but we're so grateful that we can join together this morning to glorify God. And isn't it evident this morning that where two or three are gathered, he is there in their midst? Amen? And so this morning, you guys, I can't wait to dive into this word. We've got a lot of scripture to get through, so I'm going to dive right into it this morning. And what we've been doing, for those of you who have not been with us, is we've been going through the book of Ephesians. The subtitle of our, of our series is Grace and Glory. Grace and Glory. And the idea is this, that all that grace comes from Him. He gives us the grace to do what He's called us to do. And then because the grace comes from Him, He gets the glory. God gets the glory. And we've been having a great time in the book of Ephesians this morning. We are actually diving into Ephesians chapter 4. The entire passage that we're going to get through and touch on this morning is Ephesians 4, 17 through 5 to 20, and then Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. So I know you're thinking that is a lot of scripture. Here's how we're going to approach this this morning. We're not going to read the entire thing right now. So I'm actually going to give you a little bit of homework this, this week, uh, and for those who are at home, to take this home with you and to read through this passage. But what we're going to do this morning and how we're going to approach this is we're going to highlight a few passages from um, this particular passage, from our text this morning. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the themes that come out of that. The title of my message this morning is The Evidence of Grace. Somebody say that with me. The Evidence of Grace. And this morning we're going to be talking about the evidence of grace. We're going to read two passages, then we're going to pray, then we're going to dive into this. And the first one is this, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. So if you can turn there with me in your Bibles or on your app. That would be great. And then uh, we're going to read uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 20 afterwards. Then we're going to pray. All right, here we go. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And I'm going to read in the New Living Translation here, which is up there. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Now, Ephesians 5, 15 and 20 says this, so be careful how you live. By the way, this is where we're going to camp out a lot today, okay? Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. I love how blunt that is. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music in your heart, uh, pardon me, to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, that you would help me to speak your word with authority. God, to speak your word with unction, Lord God. To speak clearly, concisely, and quickly. (laughs) And Lord God, help it to get into our hearts, we pray this morning. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, Today, the message is entitled, The Evidence of Grace. And for those of you who have not been with us, what we've been talking about for mainly the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is not just the evidence, but the fact of grace, as well as the price of grace. We've been talking about the fact that uh, at the very beginning, Paul kind of gives out this big worship song that he kind of writes out uh, in his language that just declares the greatness of God and what he has done for us. And really that entire first three uh, chapters is really dealing with this idea that we are saved by grace through faith, not by anything that we have done. God's grace is sufficient for us. It is working in us, and he is the one who will carry us through. And really what we're talking about there is the fact of grace and the cost of grace. But now that we understand that we are saved by grace, and now that we get that as a foundation, the next question is, what does that actually look like in our day-to-day lives? You know, you can buy something, but there's got to be an evidence that you have it. I think one of the things I think about with that is like when I was 23 years old, I went out and, um, and I scraped together every cent that I had at the time, and I got hooked up with this, this jeweler that sold uh, ethically sourced diamonds. And I went and met with her, and I had to go through a process to learn and understand what the diamonds were. And I looked at them, and I, and I found the one that I wanted. And then we actually had a jeweler design a ring that I gave to Tanya. And the cost of marrying Tanya at that time was great. It cleared out my bank account. <laughs> Because it was valued. There was great value there. And so there was a cost involved in that. And I, and I gave her this ring, and I got down on one knee at, at uh, Canada Place. You know, I rem- I'll never forget it. Getting down on one knee with the big, you know, two dozen roses there and, and saying, Tanya, you know, you're my Rachel. You're my Rebecca. You're my... And I said, would you be my wife? And she said, yes. And I went, yeah! And then as a symbol of that, I gave her something that cost me a lot. And I gave it to her, and I put it on her finger. Now, imagine if she had taken that thing that she had gotten, you know, that I'd fought so hard for and worked so hard for, and she had taken that, and she had put it back in the box, and then put it in a drawer, and hidden it away there. See, there was a cost involved in the ring, but the evidence of the ring, lift up your hand, babe, come on, is right on her finger right now. And there was a cost involved in grace. And let me tell you, church, we didn't have to pay that cost. That cost was paid by Jesus Christ. But now that He has paid the price for us, now that He has made a way for us to access the throne of God, there ought to be an evidence in our lives that we have received that grace. 
So just to be clear this morning, when we talk about this evidence this morning, this is not the cost of our salvation. This is the evidence of our salvation. Do you see the difference? This is not something that we need to pay for. This is not the prerequisite for you to access heaven. But this is in fact the proof that God has made a way for you to access his presence. Amen? So that's what we're talking about this morning. And and I love how Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says, he says in the book of Ephesians, Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our story. So again, as the first three chapters highlight the power and truth of the gospel, the next three chapters deal with practical ways to live the gospel out in the church, which we talked about last week, and also in our daily lives. And my big question today is, what is the evidence of a life that is strong in the grace? What is the evidence of it? How do we know if you're truly being strong in the grace? That's my big question today, and, and I would say this, we are saved by grace, not by anything that we have done, and now we must act out of that grace. Not acting better to earn our salvation, but allowing our salvation to fuel us to godly action. Now, the way that Paul chooses to communicate this idea in this passage today is he contrasts two ideas. He talks about two things. He talks about, first of all, an old nature. Everybody say old nature. And a new nature. That's right. Okay, let's try it again. Old nature and new nature. All right, good. You're with me. So that's the context that Paul uses to describe this idea He says, listen, one of the ways that you're going to know that you're being strong in the grace is because you're going to put off some old nature items and you're going to put on some new nature items. And that's actually the language that Paul uses. He says, put off the old things and put on the new. In Ephesians 4.22, it says it this way, throw off your old sinful nature and your former ways of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is the image of taking off old clothes and putting on some new clothes. Come on, you know it feels good when you get a new set of clothes, right? Like, you know that there's like this sense of confidence that comes when you put on that new outfit that you just know is spot on for that moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Or like when I was a kid and my parents would buy me that new set of sneakers, the, 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 the basketball shoes, the Air Jordans that I wanted. And I would take off the old whatever I had, the FIBA, whatever they were. I don't know. What did I have, Dad? I had Nike. Dad, Dad dressed me well. He's defending himself here. Take off those old Nikes and put on those Michael Jordans, and you know I could jump an extra foot at least off the ground. Like, you know that I was way faster than anybody that was around me at that time because I had the new on. I had taken off the old, and I had put on the new. That is the image that Paul uses, the construct that he uses when he talks about this idea of the evidence of grace is to put off the old and put on the new. So what we're going to do is I'm going to list out here um, a bunch of things that he lists in this passage that are of the old and of the new. We're not going to unpack them this morning because we have a lot of content to get through. Then when we get through this part, we're going to talk a little bit about how that impacts our relationships, and then we're going to end off back here in chapter 5, and I've got six ways that you can know that you are being strong in the grace today. Okay, you guys with me? Okay, here we go. Number one, put off. Here's the old nature. 
The old nature says this in, in 4 verse 19. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. That is the old nature. Everybody say old nature. In the new nature, they let the Spirit renew their thoughts and attitudes and they put on the new nature and walk in it. Come on. In the old nature, they tell lies. 4.25. But in the new nature, this is what Paul tells us, tell your neighbors the truth. In the old nature, they don't let sin, they say this, uh, they let anger control them. But in the new nature, in, in 4.26 and 27, it says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. So in the new nature, we don't let anger control us. Oh, I could unpack this, but I'm not going to because I told you I wasn't going to do So we're going to keep going. You can come back to this. Next one. Old nature, they quit stealing. They steal in the old nature. In the new nature, they use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. In the old nature, they use foul and abusive language. What is the evidence of grace? In the new nature, they let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Come on. Come on. We're trying to teach our kids that. Right, Josiah? <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's be, let's be encouraging to each other. We always tell our kids, listen, you're going to get enough discouragement out there. But in this house, we encourage each other. We build each other up. Come on. Can I say that for the body of Christ? Can we say this for our family this morning, Life Church? Come on, out there, you're going to get enough discouraging words. You're going to get enough curses put on you and people saying all these mean things about you. Here in the body of Christ, this is where we build each other up. Amen? Come on. We, we value honor. We value honor. All right. Next one. See, I told you, I'm unpacking it. I told you it wasn't good, but I had to. Okay, old nature. We get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. New nature. We're kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Come on. Under the old nature, it talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. In the new nature, we live a life that is filled with love. In the old nature... We have obscene stories and foolish talk and coarse jokes. But in the new nature, there's thankfulness to God. In the old nature, we're full of darkness. But in the new nature, now you have the light that comes from the Lord. This is the evidence of grace. That you no longer desire to do the things that you used to do. But that out of the fact that God has set you free, that he has redeemed your life, that he has made you a new creation today, you begin to walk in the things that he has for you. Come on, you start to live it out. It becomes not about trying to earn your way to Jesus, but as a, fact, as a response to his kindness and his grace and his goodness working in your life. And so therefore, we can take no uh, ownership of that. We can take no glory for it because he gets all the glory. Come on, every good thing, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. His goodness is running over you today. And we can't take any credit for it. We give it all back to him. Amen? Amen. So that's the first way that he talks about this idea of old and new nature. The second way is in our relationships. And, and the first thing he dives into here is actually this idea of marriage. But then he ties that into the church, and it's beautiful. And it's so beautiful that we're not going to talk about that today. I'm going to leave that for next week, and we're going to come back around to that. But we will just discuss briefly the two relationships that are mentioned here. 
in this idea of the evidence of grace. And how do we see the evidence of grace in our relationships? First of all, in verse, uh, chapter 6, it deals with the relationship of parents and children. So how do we see the, 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 the evidence of grace between parents and children? The Bible says here in, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that, with a promise. And then it says, if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Amen. And then finally, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So what are we called to do here? Old nature is we disobey our parents. We provoke our children to anger if we are parents. But the new nature is we obey our parents and we don't provoke our children to anger. We honor them. We bless them. We discipline them and disciple them in the, in the bond of Christ. We do, we do it from the instruction that comes from the Lord, not just from our own hearts and our own passions, but we look to a higher calling and, and a higher standard in order to do that. Amen? Okay, next thing is slaves and masters. Again, could be controversial. Just want to explain what they're talking about here in context. Paul is not condoning slavery, just so we're clear about this. Um, historically, they say that at that time in the Roman Empire, roughly one-third of the citizens were slaves. It was just part of the culture of that time. And probably another third of the, of the, of the culture of that time, the society of that time, was former slaves. And so this was actually a, like a social construct, not that it was right or wrong, that existed in that time, and it isn't connected necessarily to what we see today, okay? So when it's talking about this, how can we look at this? Well, it's it's the idea of indenturedness, of of, um, you owe something to someone, and so you pay that that debt off. Um, Or it could be looked at in a modern text, in a modern sense, of looking at this as an employee and an employer, okay? So we can all relate to that, right? Like, we all have jobs, many of us have jobs, and many of us have employers that, that are over us. And so that's how we can look at this today. And it says this in verse uh, 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Oh, I love that. Do you see what he just did there? He just completely subverted and went over this whole social construct. He said, listen, you feel like you don't have any power? Here's your power. You are, first of all, a slave of Christ. This goes back to that idea we talked about a few weeks ago about Paul saying, I'm a prisoner. He was actually a physical prisoner, but I'm actually a prisoner of Christ. It's, it's elevating the idea and the thought at that moment to your spiritual reality. It's going back to, are you from Ephesus or are you in Christ that we talked about earlier? Are you guys with me? We tying that together? Okay, so... So I love how he does that because he subverts it and he elevates it. And he says, listen, do this as under the Lord. If you feel like you don't have any power right now, you do have power. You have power over your attitude and the way that you respond to others around you. And this is how we want you to respond. Respond with grace. Let the evidence of grace be evident in your life. And so that's what he says. And then work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I love it. And then remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. And then, on the flip side, masters or employers, treat your employees or slaves, bondservants, in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Except for me. I'm his favorite. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Slaves, what is it? Work as under the Lord. Okay? Don't work as under yourself, under the old way, but under the new way. Work as under the Lord. And masters, 
Don't act unjustly. Don't pretend that you've got this all figured out, but act justly towards those that you're over. Lift them up. Elevate them. Okay. You guys with me? Okay. That was the part we had to, we had to fly through. Now we're going to just hang out here for a few moments in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to answer the question, what are some of the evidences that we can have in our life to know that we have, uh, we have been and we have chosen to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here's where it begins. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, it says this. Um, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those act like those who are wise. Okay, here's the first one, you guys. We need to live intentionally. The Bible is calling us to live intentionally. Just saying that we are saved by grace doesn't mean that we can just lay back and expect ourselves to act in a godly way. We have to intentionally pursue godliness. We have to intentionally set our hearts to go after the things of God. Conversely, we don't intentionally pursue godliness to earn salvation, as we talked about earlier. We, we pursue godliness to live out our salvation. Ephesians uh, in 5 verse 1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Come on, this has to do with identity. This has to do with who are you. Do you know who you are in Christ? And out of that, are you going to act intentionally in your faith? Are you going to live it out the way that God has called us to live it out? Ephesians 5.10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Church, can I say it to you this way? Warfare is intentional. You had to get out of bed this morning and intentionally decide that you were going to get dressed and come to church. That's warfare. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and we were talking about this idea of spiritual warfare. And I've been talking to a lot, a lot of different people about this lately. And we were talking about the fact that when we talk about spiritual warfare, I think a lot of times we get this idea, this like, Woo! out there thing, right? And we get this idea that, you know, spiritual warfare is like Frank Peretti. Anybody recognize that reference? This present darkness. And, and it's all about, you know, the stuff that's going on, you know, around us. And, oh, man, and, and I get up in the morning, and I'm actually doing battle in the Spirit. And I, my sword of the Spirit is actually, like, with me right now. And I'm, psh, 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 you know, and, and I'm fighting against the demons and, and doing all that stuff. You know, spiritual warfare is often ex- incredibly practical. It's getting up in the morning. Here's, do you want to know what my biggest battle is right now? Can I just be really honest with you? This is my biggest battle right now. My, and, and probably not my biggest, but this is a major battle in my life. And that is to choose to touch my Bible before I touch my phone. Like when I, yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding out there. When I get up in the morning, that is the first battle that I face. Am I going to touch my Bible or am I going to touch my phone? And this actually requires intentionality. Is God's grace there? Yes, absolutely. Is he saving me? Absolutely. Is he who began a good work in me, carrying it out to completion in Christ Jesus? Yes, he is. But when I get up in the morning, on a Monday morning, and I'm tired, and I want to see if there was a hockey trade that was made, and I want to know what's going on in March Madness or whatever it is that I want to see that day, guess what I'm wrestling with? Do I just take a quick look and then go to my Bible? Or do I go to my Bible? 
It's a very physical, very simple, but very intentional warfare that takes place every single day. So I choose intentionally, touch the Bible first. Touch the Bible first. Touch the Bible first. Get up, touch the Bible. And then read it, obviously, right? Like that's, that's the next part. You got to read it. But, but like physically touching the Bible is the step that gets me towards reading it. So it's intentional. Guys, our faith has to be lived out intentionally. And we need to grow in our t- intentionality. It's not something that just kind of flows and just happens but it's intentional that you got up this morning to come to church. It's intentional that you turned on the online service to watch what was going on. It was intentional of you this morning to raise your hands in worship. It was intentional of you this morning to tell your kids once again, even though they were fighting against you, that we, this is what we do as a family because we are followers of Jesus. It's intentional what you're doing. Amen? Amen. Okay, here's the second one. Ephesians 5.16, NLT. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Here's the next one, you guys. Seize the day. Seize the day. Come on. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that right now God is good. He is holy. He is working in this place, and he is moving in our lives. And we have the opportunity to say this, Psalm 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Again, church, this is intentional. This is something that you have to choose to do. I'm not saying you're going to feel like this every day. I'm not saying that there's not going to be days where you're going to get up saying this is not the day that the Lord has made because I am not feeling it this morning. But something in you has to rise up and align your reality with the Word of God and declare the truth of His Word over your life to say, this is the day. Come on, that's warfare. Seize the day. Seize the day. Matthew 6, 34 says, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And you know what I found, church? This is so true, and some of you need to hear this today. Guess what? There is grace for today. There is grace for this moment. There is grace to see you through to the end of this day, and it's going to be here for you, and it's going to carry you through. Oh, and guess what? There's grace for tomorrow, too. But you don't need to worry about that because there's grace for today. And when you get to tomorrow, that grace is going to be waiting for you then. Come on, there is grace. Amen? Evidence of grace. Seize the day. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Amen. Come on. We don't take anything lightly. We live each day to the fullest. We try to glorify Him in everything that we do. Amen. We seize the day. All right. Live with intentionality. Seize the day. Number three, live in the will of God. Ephesians 5, 17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. So here's the big thing. If you're going to live in the will of God for your life, then you need to make it your aim in life to find out what that is right? So again, this goes back to intentionality. This goes back to seizing the day. But what do we seize it for? What are we trying to do? Happiness! No! (laughs) I don't know. 
don't know. I don't know. What do we, what do we season the day for? It's so that we can live in the will of God. That is our desire. That's what we're after. Come on. Matthew 6.10, we're told to pray every day. May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that same prayer ought to be, God, let your will be done in my life today. And this idea of how do we find out the will of God for us, isn't that like a big topic? I don't know, as a, as a kid, that um, honestly probably shut me down and, and, um, and, and overwhelmed me more times than I can count. How do I find out the will of God for my life? Well, Romans 12, too, gives us some insight. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do we find the will of God? We learn the will of God by seeking Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. He will give you everything you need. How do we find out the will of God? By setting our face towards Him. Because you know the Bible promises He'll change the way you think. And he'll, then you'll know what the will of God is for you. What that good, pleasing, and perfect will is. It's not that you have to go, Oh man! Okay, am I supposed to turn right or left? God, right or left? Quick, i got to make a decision here. I'm in the intersection. Quick, God, let me know. Okay, right, right, here we go. No, 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 no. Relax. Relax. Seek his face. Set your heart towards him. Make it the aim of your day. Make it the aim of your life. God, that I might know you. That I might live for you. That I might show, that you might show me your face, God. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, Lord Jesus. And then you will know his will. Amen? We got three left. You guys are doing awesome. Number four. Let's just bring this home here. Choose God over an earthly coping mechanism. Can we just get real here? Here's how it says it. Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here when we talk about this idea of alcohol or strong drink, we're talking about any earthly thing that becomes a coping mechanism in your life that is an unhealthy coping mechanism. Anything that pulls you away from his reality. Um, J.D. Greer, in his commentary on Ephesians, put it this way. And I thought this was really insightful. Again, using alcohol as a uh, kind of a carry-all, a cover-all for things that we use in life that we, we use to help us to cope, okay? I'm not just talking about alcohol specifically. This could be drugs. This could be pornography. This could be shopping. This could be anything that we use as a coping mechanism to deal with stress in life. And this is how J.D. Creer talks about it. He says, alcohol and the Spirit of God produce a lot of the same things in you. Alcohol produces comfort by dulling your senses. The Holy Spirit produces comfort by opening your eyes. Alcohol gets rid of worry by making you forget. The Holy Spirit gets rid of worry by helping you to remember that he is greater than your worry. Alcohol gives you courage to make you unaware of dangers by making you unaware of dangers around you. But the Holy Spirit gives you courage by showing you how much bigger God is than your fears and allowing you to face and overcome them. Amen? Alcohol gives joy with a cheap thrill. But the Spirit of God gives joy by allowing you to encounter the eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So we need to intentionally choose to seize the day. We need to intentionally choose to live in the will of God. And part of that means that we choose God over earthly coping mechanisms. And often, church, this is, this is major warfare. This is something that we have to choose to do, to push through into the presence of God. It's not always easy. This could be, I need to look at Instagram for like a half hour just to deal with my stuff. I'm talking to myself right now, by the way. You know, I need to, I, <laughs> I, I need to check the, the hockey scores like for the fifth time today, even though I already know what's going on. It, it's like, it's things like that that get in the way of actually what I really need to do is turn my eyes to Jesus and lay my burdens at his feet. That's what I need to do. Just being real with you, okay? You with me? We got two left, guys. You're doing great. Number five, make God the soundtrack for your life. Ephesians 5.19 says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music in your heart to the Lord. Oh, this always brings back memories of music. You know, sing to one another. Did anybody know that one? Sing to one another songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's like 90s. Don't worry about it. I'm a pastor's kid. Don't judge me. <laughs> but this idea of a soundtrack for life, you know, when I thought about this idea of singing, I know some of you can't relate to this, the whole musical aspect of this. For me, music was huge growing up. And I used to always have soundtracks playing in my brain. Uh, my parents used to get on me because I'm sure it was super annoying, but I'd be like in the car, and I'd be like humming a song and playing drums with my teeth. You know, they're like, what are you doing, man? Sorry, I got the song stuck in my head. And I couldn't help myself. Or have you ever had like a CD that you buy and you take it with you on, a, on, a, on an event that, you, you know, you go, it goes with you, and then every time you hear that song or those, those, those groups of songs, it brings back a memory? Like, I remember buying this, this CD before we went to Hawaii. No, I, the one I remember the most is when I, I used to, um, I was a youth pastor in California, and this new CD came out of this band that I just loved. And I popped it in my 6-6 changer in my car, you know, back in those days. And I popped that sucker on and, like, just like put it up to 10 and just listen to this thing. And every time I hear that CD, I'm reminded of driving along the ocean, just singing out to God. God, come meet me here. Come meet me in this place. Just brings back this memory. Well, let God be the soundtrack of your life. Come on. Let him be the one that you go, look back. I remember when I was facing that hard time, but God came and met me there. I remember when I went through that time where there was that, that thing that happened, and man, it was like the best part of my life. And I remember that I turned to God in that moment, and he was a part of it. I remember that God was with me when I was going through the hard times. And I remember he was with me when I was going through the good times. But God is the soundtrack of my life. God is the soundtrack of my life. Come on, do you know, the, I just, we were just talking about this the other day. Somebody was talking about this, about God singing over you. God singing over you. Come on, let the Lord sing to you. Let his reality become your reality. And let your life be transformed by his presence. Make God the soundtrack of your life. And here's the last one. Live a life of gratitude. Ephesians 5.20. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
come on, if we're going to live intentionally, and we're going to seize the day, and we're going to live in the will of God, and choose God over earthly coping mechanisms, and make God the soundtrack of our life, then we ought to live a life of gratitude, where we are thankful and grateful for the great things that he has done. Church, today I tell you that his grace is sufficient for you, and his strength is made perfect in weakness. Now let us realize that, internalize that, and let us live a life that reflects his glory. Amen. Church, we're just going to close today. I'm going to ask Tanya to come up. And I thought it would be really appropriate for us today as we close this portion of the book of Ephesians to sing the goodness of God. And let's make this the soundtrack of our life this week. Let's make this the soundtrack of our day. The goodness of God. prayer. Lord, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Always, always his grace working out in our lives. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days. I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am made, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Yes, it is. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh, I will see the goodness of God I will see of the goodness of my God yes I will see of the goodness 
Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness this morning, Lord God, that your grace is sufficient for us. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works of our own. God, we're thankful this morning that we get to, to realize that grace and to access it and to walk in it. And we pray today in Jesus' name that you would give each person in this place, Lord God, the strength to live out the life that you've called us to live. Help our lives to express the evidence of your grace in everything that we do. And Father, this morning we just declare that we will be thankful for the things that you have given us. And we declare that our lives will reflect your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.